Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 to 52. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasures things new and old. So far, the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Jesus speaks to us in these parables about the value of the kingdom of God, not the cost. Value and cost are, of course, two separate things. A gift may cost you nothing and yet be worth quite a bit of value. Or, on the other hand, if you go to a stadium or a ballpark, you might end up uh, paying the cost of food or drink might be far more than it, its true value. We know that these two things are separate, and yet we often confuse the two, don't we? We often assume that something that is of great cost must be of great value, and something that is of little cost of little value. There's a story, actually, of a pastor who advertised marriage counseling for those who are having trouble with their marriage and got no response until he changed the advertisement from free to a price. People apparently assumed that when it was free, it was not of much value, but when he charged for the marriage and counseling, people called and were interested. People often make the same mistake with the parables in front of us today. They hear the parable and they think that the kingdom of God must cost us everything. We have to go and sell all that we have and become hermits living in caves in order to be a part of God's kingdom. Or they make the other mistake, uh, knowing that God's grace is free, they assume that it is not of great value. Jesus speaks to us in these parables of the value of the kingdom, not of its cost. Jesus doesn't ask us to give up anything to be part of the kingdom. The kingdom is his free gift, which he gives to us by his grace and by the price that he paid for it. He paid the cost. We don't have to. But he does want us to understand the value of what he has given to us. Most of the time when we give gifts, we take the price tag off the gift before we give it. In this case, Jesus, in a sense, is putting that price tag back on. He doesn't want us to throw away his gift because we assume it is of no value. He wants us to treasure it. The parables bear this out. You notice that the farmer does not pay the value of the treasure. 
If the farmer had to pay the value of the treasure, he could never afford it. But no, he hides the treasure and he pays for the field in order that he might receive something of far, far greater value. And we can assume the same about the merchant as well. He was a pearl merchant. He knew what he was doing. He wouldn't have taken the risk of selling all that he had in order to gain something only of equal value. But he must have known that the price that was being asked for that great pearl was far lower than its value. And thus, he was willing to take the risk. The cost of the kingdom is nothing for us. It's freely given by God's grace. The cost of the kingdom was great for Christ. He had to give up even his own life for it. But the value for us is immeasurable, beyond our understanding. Paul reminds us in Romans 5.15, The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So the kingdom is our gift. Christ asks no payment from us, having paid the price for us. But he does ask us to appreciate, to understand, to ponder what a great treasure it is that he has given to us. And so we have to ask, well, what is this kingdom that he speaks about? The kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? What is this gift that he's given to us? The term kingdom of heaven is one that is seeped in the history of the Old Testament, where God, as we, we heard about in our Old Testament reading, brought his people, he chose them as his people, he brought them out of slavery, he lived among them as their king and as their God. He often acted in, in very, with very mighty and obvious acts to, to save them and to deliver them. When he brought them through the Red Sea or sent fire down on, on the top of Mount Carmel, and in the midst of that kingdom that was his people, separated from the people of the earth, he promised the coming of the Messiah who would rule. And so when the Messiah comes, this term kingdom is now used for everything that he, the king, the ruler, does in order to gather his people and bring them into salvation. The kingdom has been defined correctly as the, the ruling of Christ, the power of Christ active in our lives, the power of Christ active to bring us to faith and to lead us through our life and to, to bring us to heaven. In a simple sense, we could say that it's everything that Christ does in order to make us his people and in order to bring us into his salvation. When Jesus, therefore, says the kingdom of heaven is like, dot, 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 he's speaking of many different things. He it's kind of like if we were to say, being a farmer is, or the work of a farmer is like, dot, dot, dot. Well, you could, you could talk about many different aspects of farming. The planting, uh, the watering, the weeding, the harvesting, enjoying the fruits of the harvest, the getting up early, the hard work. There's many different aspects, but they are all focused on that producing of fruit, of grain, of whatever it is that, that you're growing. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like, we find that a lot of those parables speak of many different aspects of his work as king. Sometimes they talk about him preaching the word. And we heard that a couple weeks ago with the parable of the sower and the seed, the preaching of the word and his power active in that word. Or some of them speak of the day of judgment, the third parable in our, in our, our 
our sermon text today uh, focuses on that, that day of judgment when the just and the unjust are separated. Or they can focus on the, the gift of salvation. Or they can focus on what heaven is going to be like. Or that gathering of all believers, which is the church. And the parables, the kingdom of heaven parables, Christ focuses on many different aspects of his work, but at the center, at the heart of it all, it is his power at work, active, to bring his people to that salvation. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so in the first two parables that we have in our text today, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, in a simple sense we could say he's talking about our salvation, but really he's talking about all of that, all of his work. And he's reminding us to treasure, to value all that he has done and everything. It's one whole package deal. You can't separate part of it and say, well, I like the idea of salvation, but I don't like the idea of, of listening to God's word. It's one whole thing, all of his acts and all of his power. And so he's teaching us to, to treasure all of it, to treasure the preaching of his word, which reminds us of the forgiveness of sins, to treasure and appreciate his life, in which he came and lived among us and died for us, to treasure the, the gathering together of believers as we come together this morning to hear his word and to sing songs of praise to God together, to treasure that time together and what Christ is doing amongst us in, or, in order to bring us together, to treasure being a part of it, to look forward to, to treasure the day of his coming so that we learn to, to say with the Apostle John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that we truly desire his coming on that last day and the great gifts that we will receive. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure, a pearl of great price. All that Christ has done and will do for us is something that we ought to ponder in our hearts. This is the point of these parables. Not that Jesus is saying that we have to go out and sell all that we have, but that we ought to understand and treasure his work amongst us and his salvation and his forgiveness of sins over anything that is a part of this earth. Thus Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Note that Paul doesn't say these things I have given up or sold for Christ but I have counted them as loss. In other words, even when he still has them, he counts them as nothing. He does not value them above God and his kingdom. Paul has um, food and clothing, but if it's necessary to give up anything of this life, he gladly let that go in order to hold on to God's kingdom. And we see how Paul did that. He, he even gave up his freedom, becoming a prisoner, for the chance to preach the gospel to, to Caesar. He didn't throw away his freedom needlessly, but when there was the chance to, to give away his freedom in order to preach the gospel, he willing, let, willingly let go of that freedom of this earth in order to preach the gospel even to the king, the emperor of Rome. Jesus does not command that we give up all but only encourages us to learn to grasp the treasure of heaven and not the things of this earth. 
And we have some examples in the Old Testament, of course, of those who, grasping the things of this earth, lost the greater treasure of heaven. Many examples, Balaam is one such. Balaam was a prophet of, the Lord, a prophet of God, but he was asked by Balak, the king of Moab, to come and to curse the people of Israel. And he was offered lots of money to do it, riches. And so for the sake of earthly wealth, against the direct command of God, he went with the king of Moab. Now, of course, he was not able to curse God's people. God would not let him. So that when he opened his mouth in an attempt to curse God's people, instead blessing came out, even against Balaam's will, but according to God's will. But nevertheless, when he couldn't curse the people of God, he advised the king Balak, he said, look, you're not going to convince God to forsake his people, but you can tempt God's people to forsake God. And so he advised King Balak to seduce the people of Israel with the, with the women of Moab and lead them into fornication, adultery, and idolatry against God. And in so doing, Balaam gave up the treasures of heaven for some little treasure of this earth. Concerning Balaam and those like him, Peter warns us in 2 Peter 2, 15-19, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh and through lewdness the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And so the wealth of this world has that facade of a promise of, of happiness and liberty, but is actually bondage to the sin of this world. Another example, of course, is Esau, uh, the older brother of Jacob who for the sake of a bowl of stew sold his birthright. The birthright which included the promise of Abraham, the promise of the coming of the Messiah, and the promise to be the great nation chosen by God. And yet he, he gave that away, not like Balaam, in order to gain great wealth, but solely in order to satisfy the desire of a moment. He was hungry and wanted a bowl of stew. And, for, and therefore, for the sake of a momentary desire, he sold the promises of God. How often are we tempted, like Esau and like Balaam, to let go of the treasure, the value of God's kingdom for the sake of momentary desires or for the sake of earthly wealth and riches. And in such a way, we often despise God's gift. God's treasure. These parables challenge us to appreciate, to ponder in our hearts the great value that is ours, freely given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the parables can also be a paradigm of the cost that Christ paid. This is not their purpose, but they do also present us with a representation, and an example of what Christ did for us. For Christ can be seen as the merchant who sold everything he had, the riches of heaven, the divine glory, came down to this earth, 
gave up even his life in order to purchase us. He can be seen as the farmer who sold all in order to attain what he treasured, which is us, even though we were sinners and rebelling against him. He gave up his own life and even gave up death in order to make us a part of his kingdom. And so the cost of the kingdom was paid by Christ, but its great value is freely given to us. Christ would teach us to remember that and appreciate it, despite the fact that we need pay nothing for it. It is of great value, and therefore not be tempted to throw it away like Balaam or like Esau. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.